Not sure how many were able to tune in last week. But for time's sake, I'm going to assume that you know the story of Ruth. We have Naomi, right? Naomi is married to Elimelech. There's a drought, a famine in Judah. And so they leave and they go to Moab. Elimelech dies. And uh, before that, though, Naomi uh, uh, and Elimelech, they're, uh, they have two sons. And uh, each son uh, marries a Moabite woman, one of them being Ruth. Her two sons then die. So Naomi is now a woman who is a widow. She has also lost two of her sons, and she is in a foreign land. So she hears that there is now grain again in Judah, that the drought is over, and she wants to go back to her homeland. And it would have been fine for Ruth and her, and her sister-in-law to, to stay there in Moab with their own people. But Ruth, as we looked at last week, pledged herself to Naomi, pledged herself to the land of Israel, pledged herself, bound herself to the God of Israel. And we looked last, last week at some beautiful pictures, I think some illustrations there in the life of Ruth, of a virtuous woman, right? A, a woman of noble character. But for many of us who are familiar with this story, we know that Boaz, right? He is the picture of Christ here. He is the kinsman redeemer. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at Boaz. But certainly, uh, if nothing else today, I want you to leave here having looked at the face of your redeemer. I want you to see all the glories of Christ Jesus as your kinsman redeemer. And so if you look at Ruth chapter 2, please. We're just going to read two verses this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 2. And verse 1 of chapter 4. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, his name was Boaz. And in chapter 4, verse 1, it says here, Now Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the close relative of whom Boaz had spoken came by. And so Boaz said, Come aside, friends, sit down here. And so he came aside and sat down. The Lord will bless the reading of his word again this morning. Let's just open in a word of prayer. Our Father, again, we, would, uh, we are just humbled in your presence when we consider again this morning your great work. We're so thankful for the work of redemption, which was accomplished through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We're also grateful for uh, the opportunity to sit under the teaching of your word this morning. Lord God, we would just pray that you would make uh, th- this time here um, uh, in such a way, would you relieve the heat, perhaps provide some shade, uh, a breeze, something so that it does not detract us from what you want us to hear this morning. The enemy would love nothing more than for us to not hear what you want to say to us this morning. And so we just pray that we might be able to hear the voice of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So we want to look at uh, several things regarding the Redeemer. And then I want to look at something to do with the redeemed and then something to do with redemption. But the first thing here in chapter 2, verse 1, I want us to look at the robustness of the Redeemer. The robustness of the Redeemer. Now, something that is robust, right, uh, has something to do with strength, right? And where do we see that in this portion here? Well, we see that actually in the name of the Redeemer. You will see here in chapter 2, verse 1, it says his name was Boaz. The name Boaz actually means in him is strength. In him is strength. So here we see in just the name of Boaz, right, a beautiful thing regarding the strength of our Redeemer. If you read the Psalms, Right? I mean, over and over again, the psalmist talks about how God is a strength and a shield. All throughout Scripture, we, we read of, right, that we can all do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But I think even the strength of our Redeemer is probably best demonstrated in Colossians. Right? In Colossians, it, it, it talks about that we were dead in our trespasses. And the uncircumcision of our flesh, and he made us alive together with him. Right? He forgave you of all your trespasses. He wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, that was contrary to us. He took it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. But then it says this He disarmed the principalities and the powers, and he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them church listen if that doesn't just demonstrate to you the strength and the robustness of our redeemer i don't know what does he was able to disarm principalities and powers and make a public spectacle of them the lord jesus is so strong listen you know a lot of times we we talk about, we even mentioned this last week when we talked about Ruth having a lowly heart is that the Lord Jesus himself, right? He proclaimed to be low, to be meek. Please do not misunderstand for one moment, okay? That meekness equals weakness, <laughs> okay? The Lord Jesus was never weak. <laughs> yes, he made himself low. He was gentle and he was meek. But the Lord Jesus was never weak. <laughs> the strength of our Redeemer. If this morning I want you again to just appreciate and to praise and to worship the strength of your Lord. He is a strong God. But not only that, I want you to see in this verse, verse 1, the relationship of the Redeemer. It says here that there was a relative of Naomi's husband. When you study this book of Ruth, there's actually three different words that they use to describe this relative. And these words that they use, in fact, here, mine says relative, yours might say kinsman in your translation. But the, but the words here mean different things. And pretty much one of them here actually means that, listen, your relative, your kinsman is one of us.
He is one of us. speaks to the humanity of Jesus Christ. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven, to take the nature of a bondservant and, and become a man, right? Become one of us. Greg was alluding to that today. Right? The, the Lord Jesus became one of us. He became our kinsman. But not only that, another word they use in here in this book that has the idea of kinsman is someone who is near. Someone who is near. I'm just so thankful this morning for the nearness of our Redeemer. That not only, right, did our Redeemer come here and touch people, right? We looked at a little while ago how he was willing to touch the leper. He was willing to touch you. We sing that hymn, He touched me. Oh, He touched me. But also, John, right, he, he appreciates the, 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 just the, the, the amazingness about this is that he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That life was manifested. It was seen. We bear witness to it. We declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And he says, these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Listen, church, I hope that your joy is full this morning when you consider the relationship of your Redeemer. He was one who became one of us. He was one who became a man. He was one who came near to you. We who were far off, right? The blood of Christ has drawn us nigh. Now we are able to be near our kinsman Redeemer. Praise God for not only the robustness of our Redeemer, the strength of our Redeemer, but also the fact that He is our kinsman, the relationship of our Redeemer. But I also see, think you see here in this verse the resurrection of the Redeemer. And you might say to yourself, John, where in the world do you see the resurrection here? Well, one of the things I see here is that it mentions that He was of the family of Elimelech. The family of Elimelech. If you look at chapter 4, Verse 10, when Boaz is talking about redeeming, it says, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malin, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. You see, Boaz, right, as a redeemer, he was going to take the name of the dead, that is of Elimelech, and raise it up. He was going to raise it up. Not only of Elimelech, right, but even of Naomi. Right, and it's interesting that 
the when when Boaz, right, when they when he redeems Ruth and 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 Ruth conceives a son, right? They say to Naomi, "Oh, may Boaz be to you a restorer of life." It says in verse 15 of chapter 4 that Boaz not only raised to dead the name of Elimelech, but also restored life to Naomi. It's interesting in verse 17 of chapter 4, when Obed is born, right? It says a son has been born, not to Ruth. You know what they say? They say a son has been born to Naomi. To Naomi. As a redeemer, he not only resurrected the dead name of Elimelech, but also restored life to Naomi. But even more so, we see, right, that he's going to resurrect in a way he's going to raise Ruth. Right? He's going to raise her to a place that is undeserved. He's going to raise her to a place that is unmerited, unbought, unsought. He's going to raise Ruth to a a life in the field now. A life of service, right? He, not only that, he's going to raise her to a life with himself. And because of their union, this is unbelievable, right? Ruth, a widow, a Moabite, a foreigner. Boaz is actually going to, because of his union with Ruth, he's going to, she, Ruth, is going to become heir of the field of Elimelech and of the field of Boaz. Brothers and sisters, do we not see how beautiful that is that you yourselves, right, when your Redeemer raised you from the dead, right, you became now joint heirs with Jesus Christ. All that Jesus gets to enjoy as heir of the Father, you too now get to enjoy. That's the resurrection of our Redeemer. He takes things that are dead Right? And he raises them up. <laughs> we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he made us alive together with Christ. Not to just have forgiveness of sins, which would be great, right? Just in and of itself. But the fact that he's actually made us now heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And so we see here the resurrection of the Redeemer. But we also see something here in verse 1 we see the riches of our Redeemer. It says here that Boaz was a man of great wealth. It's interesting here that you don't, you really see nothing of Boaz's riches until it comes to redemption. I mean, here it mentions he was a man of great wealth, but other than that, we see uh, his field, right? We see his men uh, who are working for him. It, It doesn't mention how much he has or how much it cost to redeem the land. To redeem Ruth. But one thing we do know is that he was rich enough to buy all, wasn't he? Boaz, right? He was rich enough to buy all. To purchase that land of Elimelech, right? To take Ruth as his wife. Oh, listen, this morning, would you consider the wealth of your Redeemer? the riches of your Redeemer, we can never measure the riches of Christ. Right? In fact, Paul says it's the unsearchable riches of Christ. But we do know, right, 
that he paid it all. And all the cost, right, that it must have been for us to be redeemed. The great wealth of our Redeemer, that he would be able to purchase us, not with silver and gold, right, but with his precious blood. We certainly have a wealthy Redeemer. Such wealth. But not only that, some of your translations may say that he was not just a man of great wealth, but he was a man of valor, right? Uh, that he was a mighty, valiant man. The valor of our Redeemer. I think that speaks of the fact that Boaz, right? Remember why Naomi left with Elimelech. Is that Judah went through a drought. They went through a famine. And here you have Boaz, a man of great wealth. He came through it, didn't he? A valiant man. He came through the famine. He came through the drought. And God has blessed him with wealth. Even amidst famine. Where so many probably were poor now and in need. Here we see the valor of our Redeemer. And of course we see that, right? The beautiful picture. Boaz, as he pictures our Redeemer, right? We remember the verse, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so we see certainly the riches of our Redeemer. He was a man of great wealth, and he was a man of valor, a mighty, valiant man. But in chapter 4, I want you to notice where Boaz and Ruth are at the time of the redemption. I want you to notice where they are. And here, in chapter 4, verse 1, the first thing we're going to see is we're going to see the responsibility of the Redeemer. The responsibility of the Redeemer. Notice that Boaz, right, it says that he went up to the gate or out to the gate. Right, Boaz is outside the gate. It was custom there for them to go to the gate there and to sit there, perhaps with the elders there, right? And for him to redeem his relative. Certainly, when you think of Hebrews 13, right? Verse 12, it says, Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, he suffered outside the gate. You can almost picture the Lord Jesus going out to the gate, willing to pay what was necessary to redeem mankind. But he went outside the gate as well, just as Boaz did. As he goes out to the gate, the responsibility of the Redeemer. But not only that, but we see that Boaz, notice how he goes himself. He doesn't send another, right? He himself, right, is present at the gate. Boaz himself personally goes out to redeem the land of Elimelech and Ruth. He didn't send another. He himself went. And we know that we read over and over again that Christ that says he himself is the propitiation for our sins. We read of Abraham and Isaac where it says God will provide for himself a lamb. Jesus Christ himself became your redeemer. He was the one that suffered outside the gate. And why do I mention that? Because here we see that there's someone else there, isn't there? 
that Boaz sees actually the first relative. This is a relative that's closer than Boaz, right? His responsibility would be to redeem the land of Elimelech. And so as the story goes, for those that don't know, is, is Boaz, as we read, says, hey, listen, my friend, come here. I would like to share something with you. And he tells you, hey, listen, Naomi's back, Ruth, her daughter-in-law is back, and, and the land of Elimelech needs to be redeemed, and you have first choice. And, of course, this man thinking, okay, for me to purchase some more land, that's going to be good for my inheritance. Sure, I'll redeem the land of Elimelech. And Boaz, I don't know if he had some strategy involved here, but then he says, oh, and by the way, when you redeem the land, you also have to redeem Ruth, a Moabite. At that point, the first relative says, no, that's okay. <laughs> you might ask yourselves, why? Why wouldn't he redeem it knowing now that he had Ruth? I don't know. There could be a few suggestions. One, he was willing to take on another piece of land. Again, we don't know the wealth of the first relative. But maybe he was willing to purchase the land and whatever it would cost to maintain that land. But to have a wife and to provide for her and for Naomi... Perhaps that was too much. Also, there's the idea that he mentions here in this portion in chapter 4 that taking on Ruth might affect his inheritance. Because now if he takes on Ruth and she has a child, now that inheritance gets split up. And so he wasn't willing to do that. He wasn't willing to uh, have his inheritance affected. And so, of course, he refused to serve as the kinsman redeemer for Elimelech and his dead sons, Kilian and Malin, because he selfishly did not want their inheritance to interfere with his own. And I think it's interesting, right? That because he refused, his name is forgotten. His name is never recorded in scriptures because of his own selfishness. I think there's a beautiful picture here too, brothers and sisters. Some people think here that that this first relative is a picture of the law because you have ten witnesses, right? The Ten Commandments. And that sounds good to me. But I really think that this first relative is a picture of the first Adam. See, it, it talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says that the spiritual is not the first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. And later on it says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the first man, right, Adam, cannot redeem his brother nor give to God a ransom for him. Only the second Adam could, and that is Jesus Christ. Only the second man was one that was spiritual, one that could redeem you and I. Boaz certainly is a picture, as a picture of Christ, the second Adam. He does not hesitate to offer himself as a kinsman redeemer without fear for his own family name. In fact, in chapter 3, verse 13, he says this. It's a beautiful thing. He says this to Ruth. He says this. He says, if he does not want to perform the duty for you, speaking of the first relative, he says, then I will perform the duty for you. Ah, uh, The responsibility of our redeemer that Jesus Christ was willing to perform all that was necessary in order for you and I to be redeemed. He was willing to perform whatever was necessary. He was willing to do it all 
for your sake and for my sake. As I said, we see where Boaz here, where's Ruth, right? Where is Ruth during this time? In fact, in verse 18 of chapter 3, Naomi says this to Ruth. She says, sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. I want you to notice the position of Ruth. She's not out at the gate, is she? Right? She didn't have to go do anything. Right? In fact, it says here that she could sit there and, and wait until the matter turned out. And, and it's interesting here. She's talking about Boaz. She says, and Boaz will not rest, right, until he has concluded the matter this day. Isn't that amazing, right? To know that we ourselves, right, our role as the redeemed, we didn't have to do anything, did we? Right? In, in fact, there's a beautiful picture here where Ruth, right, she's really at the mercy of the Redeemer. She can't redeem herself. She can't do anything. Naomi can't do anything, right? They're both at the mercy of the Redeemer. But oh, how our Redeemer was willing to perform all that was necessary for her to be redeemed, for you and I to be redeemed. It's interesting, too, right, that I've just been amazed, too, at uh, the providence of God. Again, you know, we keep bringing this up. We're, we're living in a time, right, where every time something comes up in the news, every time we, we hear what's going on in the world, it's just there's so much uncertainty, right? We're, we're, we're living really in some dark days here. Perhaps we question God sometimes as to why something happened or why something doesn't happen. And, and here's Ruth, right? It's something that just uh, was brought to my attention, I think it's so neat, is that Ruth, right, was married 10 years before her husband died. And yet Ruth was childless. I don't know. I don't want to, um, you know, um, assume, right, what, what Ruth is thinking. But if you're a woman, right, and you're married for 10 years and you're childless, you start to wonder, man, has God forsaken me? You might think, what's my purpose here? Here I have this husband who has taken me a foreigner as his wife and I can't even provide him with children. But the Lord intervened, didn't he? Right? It was the Lord's timing in her life that the Lord enabled her to bear a son. Not only that, right? Boaz. Think about Boaz. Boaz is a wealthy, respected man. And yet he's not married. How is it that nobody has married Boaz yet? Again, I speak to young people perhaps today. Those might be out there wondering, oh, listen, I wonder if I could ever get married, right? I wonder if, uh, you know, the Lord has forgotten me, right? I mean, here's Boaz, a wealthy, respected man, and yet he's without a spouse. It seems that the Lord had prepared him for such a time as this, didn't he? Too often, men and women, they, they go into marriage too quickly, not waiting for God to bring someone for such a time as this. But the providence of God. You know, we see in this book the majestic fulfillment of God's purpose, don't we? You know, uh, Ruth, in the beginning of this book, right, as she goes to, to pick up 
any dropped or missed grain, right? And that was according to the instructions of the Lord God that, that the harvesters leave something to the poor, right? She was led by the Lord to the field. Now, it's unbeknownst to her, is it? Isn't it? That the field in which she is being led to glean from, to collect any of the, 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 the leftover grain, right? Stuff that has fallen down. She has no idea that she's being led to a field that is actually a relative of Naomi. And yet we ourselves, each and every day, we say, oh, Lord, God, do you know what you're doing? Look around, God. See what's happening. God knows exactly what he's doing. He was leading Ruth to a field, unbeknownst to her, that was actually a relative of Naomi. Read it. You won't believe Naomi's reaction when she comes back and tells her that she was gleaning in Boaz's field. Boaz, what? But that's the God that we serve. That's our Redeemer. He's in control. Even in the dark days, I don't know if you're aware of the times that this is in. We call these the, the dark days of the judges. <laughs> these, are, these are not good times for God's people. Right? We see mankind doing things in and of the flesh. Right? Not being sensitive to the things of God. Sounds a lot like what we're in today, doesn't it? And yet, even in these dark days of the judges, right? God was watching over the line through which Christ would come into the world, wasn't he? Again, we think that God is not in control, but he is. He's in control of everything that's going on. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what circumstances you're experiencing in your life, God knows it. God knows it. And he's using all these things in your life to lead you to a time such as this, whatever it may be, where God is going to use you, just as he used Boaz, just as he used Ruth, to preserve the line that Christ would come into the world through. Amazing. I want to close with one thought, and then we're going to sing one more song. Okay? I, I hope and pray this morning that I was able to give you a little glimpse as to the beauty of your Redeemer. Right? The glory of your Redeemer. Right? The strength of your Redeemer. Okay? The relationship, the nearness, right, of your Redeemer. The resurrection of your Redeemer. How he has brought that which is dead and raised it up. The riches of your Redeemer. The responsibility of your Redeemer. That he was the one that went himself and purchased you. He paid it all. He was willing to perform all that was necessary for us. One of the things that's really cool about this union, right, is that what was the result of the redemption, right? I think we see our beautiful picture as the result of the redemption. Boaz redeems the land of Elimelech and redeems Ruth, takes her as his wife, and it says that she conceives a son, right? This is the result of this redemption. And what did they name that son? They named him Obed. Does anybody know what Obed means? Obed's name means worship. Brothers and sisters, listen. <laughs> there are many results of our redemption, but one 
result, at least from this picture here in this story, should be that of worship. Your Redeemer purchased you out of the slave market of sin. He made it to you that was afar off. He brought you near by the blood of His Son. And the result of that redemption should be worship. (laughs) We should worship God with our whole heart, as we read in Psalm today. We should worship God each and every day, not just on Sunday mornings, but every moment of every day, every chance we get an opportunity, we want to worship our Redeemer for what He has done for us. Let's sing together. One more song. If you have your phones, it's in there. You have a little bit of time for Greg to come up and for me to get to the other mic. But we're going to sing, Jesus paid it all. All right? And then we'll dismiss you. Savior say thy strength indeed is small child of weakness watch and pray find in me thine all in all Jesus paid it all all to him I Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. For now, indeed, I find thy power and thine alone, and change the leper's spot. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as stone. For nothing good have I, whereby to claim I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's land Jesus paid it all all to him I owe 
left our crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Sing it out, church, come on. Jesus paid it all, all to him I left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow and sin had left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow oh praise the Raise this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Lord Jesus. We just want to uh, praise you this morning. We will never understand the debt that we owed. We can never fully comprehend the price that you paid. But we want to praise you this morning that you paid it all. We owe you our lives. We owe you our praise and our worship. All honor and glory uh, be to you, Lord Jesus, our kinsman redeemer. Thank you in your holy and precious name. Amen.